and the glory forever. Amen. If you will join me now in taking your copy of God's Word, we will turn together to the book of Acts. This morning we'll look at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, as we begin our new sermon series on this book of Acts. So if you have a a ribbon in your Bible or a bookmark, I encourage you to go ahead and place it there in Acts. We will be here uh, for the next little while. And we, we ended up here really beginning back in the fall. If you remember, we started asking the question of, of what is the church? And that's a, that's a big question. That's a, that's a wide open question. We, we defined it down to, we want to know what the church is by God's definition. And so by God's definition, then what is the church called to do? What is the purpose of the church? And in our day and age, we look at the world around us and we have, you know, it's almost like Baskin Robbins, right? We have all these different flavors of churches. Are they all right? Are they all correct? Should our, should our church be like the other churches where we, we rip out the organ and we put in a, a band and we have lights and you, know, uh, you, you, you find yourself a pastor who's comfortable wearing skinny jeans? And, right? do, we go, do we go that direction? Is that the purpose of God for the church? Or do we go much more liturgical than what we are now? And so it's good for us to ask the question, what does God want the church to do? What does God want us to be? And as we've seen in our study, looking at the early church in Acts 2, God has called us, defined us, to be a church that's in the means of grace. A means of grace church. And by that we mean a church that is devoted to the reading, preaching, and teaching of God's word. That's that's one of the main ministries of our church. That we're devoted to prayer. That we pray with each other and and, and for each other. uh, We're glad to do that for each other. There's the faithful administering and taking of the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and Baptism. There's being faithful and fellowship with with other Christians. That's the purpose of the church. That's what we've been called to do. And that then led us to look at the seven churches in Revelation to see what happens to a church when they are faithful to their calling. And as the seven churches we saw, only two of them were faithful and being a means of grace church. So the other side of it, we see the five churches that were not faithful. And Jesus issuing them warnings. And what happens to a church when it's unfaithful to its creator, to its created meaning, and to its calling? And so all that is leading up to this morning as we begin our look at the book of Acts. Because if you're familiar with this book, you're familiar with the the, the main theme of it, the main narrative, the story of it. And that is chronicling the, the birth and the growth of the early church. So that's the direction we're heading in this morning, and we'll do that by looking together at Acts 1, the first five verses. So let me pray for us as we spend this time together in God's Word. Lord, we we pray now, as we've already talked a little bit, that you uh, you would, through your Spirit, open our minds and open our hearts, that we will hear your Word, and we will believe it as your Word that we will receive and rest upon Christ alone as he's offered to us here in the book of Acts because all the Bible 
is about Jesus. So may we receive and rest upon Jesus as we find him here in Acts. And so Lord, do this in and through us. Lord, do this for your glory. We pray now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. We will stand together now for the reading of God's word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them there in 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. Part of our bingo game this morning is something that we've been talking about for the past few weeks. And that is this year marks the 200th anniversary of our church, of Bethel ARP Church. That in December of 1823, Bethel ARP was legally legally recognized uh, as a church. So here we are, almost 200 years later, standing as a testimony to the goodness and faithfulness of God. And we want to think of of it that way because there is a temptation for us to look over our history and go, we have done pretty good, haven't we? You know, we've been smart with our money. And we, we have made really good decisions. You know what? We have done a pretty good job. And what we're going to see in the book of Acts is that the book of Acts kind of takes a cannon and blows through that mindset. Because what we need to recognize is we stand here as a testimony not to ourselves, but to the goodness and faithfulness of God. If it weren't for God, our church would have gone away by December of 1824. But here we are now some 200 years later as a monument. As we sing and come down found every blessing, we stand here as an Ebenezer to the goodness and faithfulness of God. We are, we're planning a special worship service for the last Sunday of April. Still some details we're working on, and so we'll get you more thorough details to y'all here shortly. But it's an amazing thing to think. Almost 200 years after that first worship service as Bethel ARP, here we are, still standing as a gospel witness in Winsboro, Fairfield County, South Carolina, and around the world. And so what a wonderful occasion to remember. 200 years, that's nothing to sneeze at. 200 years, the testimony of God's goodness and faithfulness. So with that in mind, as we... Remember, and we celebrate the beginning of this particular church, we turn our attention to the story at the beginning of the church. Not just our church, but the church as we find it chronicled by Luke in the book of Acts. And every 
faithful church finds their roots and beginnings in these 28 chapters, including us. Our beginnings, our roots, are founded here in the book of Acts. Matter of fact, I would say it this way. Any history written of any church should either have the book of Acts as the first chapter, or the first chapter should just read chapter 1, in the beginning, go and read the book of Acts to understand the beginning of our particular church. Now, that's no offense to, to Miss Nellie Sprott or to, to any other histories written about local churches, but that's the reality of it. Bethel didn't just appear in December of 1823. Our, our church doesn't just find its roots beginning in, in Scotland. Now, our history, the history of little Bethel ARP Church in Winsboro, South Carolina, goes all the way back to these events that are chronicled and detailed in this inspired book. A history that runs from about the mid-30s to about the early 60s A.D. That's the roots of our church. So, so do you want to know the history of this church? As we, as we celebrate 200 years, do you want to know it better? Well, here you go. Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives it to us in great details here in the book of Acts. And so I'm excited for us to have a chance to study this book as we remember the 200 years of God's faithfulness to his congregation. Now, as we've already mentioned, Luke is the inspired writer of this book. He didn't just wake up one day and decide he wanted to be a historian. God called him to do this. We also know Luke from his gospel as well. So there's the gospel according to Luke and the book of Acts. Now, we commonly understand that, that Luke was a doctor. And we see that uh, through what Paul says about him. We see that in how Luke writes. He tends to be very thorough and detailed like a good doctor would be. But he wasn't an apostle. He wasn't one of the, the twelve that Jesus went and called to ministry. So it means then that what he wrote about in, in the book of and the gospel according to Luke, he wasn't an eyewitness to those events. And even in the book of Acts, he didn't participate in, in some of these events until later on in the book of Acts. So I think that begs the question. How, how does Luke know what to write? Did he just kind of walk around and pick up gossip along the way? He wasn't there. He, he, didn't, he wasn't there for three years with Jesus. He wasn't there in the beginning of the beginning of the church. So how can he be certain of what he wrote? How can we, how can we be certain of what he wrote? Well, it's understood through what he wrote in early church history, that although Luke wasn't there, he interviewed eyewitnesses to those events that he's recorded in the gospel and acts. So we can imagine him not, you know, not, not sitting down with a laptop but with a, but with a quill and, and a scroll. He would sit down with Peter and, and John and James and Paul and Mary and others and he would ask them questions. Tell me about Jesus. Tell me about when he was born. Tell me about when you first met. Okay, Peter, you mentioned the Mount of Transfiguration. Tell me what happened there. Okay, John, you were the only apostle who stayed at the crucifixion with, with, with Mary. Tell me about that. What, what happened that first resurrection morning? He did that with the life of ministry of Jesus. And then we see in the book of Acts, he, he does the same thing. 
He takes the, he takes the apostles, he takes the others who were there, he says, tell me about this. Peter, you mentioned something about a room in Pentecost. Tell, tell, me what, tell me what happened about this. We know he did this because think about the many personal aspects we find in Luke's writing. We go back to his account of the birth of Jesus. And he, he talks about uh, the, night Jesus, the night Jesus, or the evening that Jesus was born. And, and angels appear, appear to shepherds out in the field, right? And then they came, to, they came to visit. They came down to Bethlehem to see. And he includes this really curious little detail. He goes through all that and he says, And Mary treasured all these things in her heart, pondering them. That's a very personal detail. How would he know that detail? Because as he sat with Mary, and he said, Mary, tell me about the day Jesus was born. And she said, Luke, these shepherds showed up. And they tell us about keeping watch over their flock by night. And then one angel of the Lord appeared, and then a multitude of angels and, and, and they came running down. They, they stank of shepherds. And they came running down. And they came in and they told us all about it. And Luke, I have never forgotten that day. I have never forgotten that story. And I have treasured those things up in my heart. And I have pondered them all the days of my life. We come to the book of Acts. And he records Peter's sermon at Pentecost. And when you read it, it's as if he was hearing it from Peter himself. Peter, you, you, you said you had the Holy Spirit come upon you. And you stood in front of thousands of people. Peter, what is it you said? Peter says, I will tell you exactly what I said that day. And Luke wrote it all down. So what we have here in Luke is a man who responds in faith to the gospel. And in his training as a doctor, to to focus on details and be thorough, he goes to as many eyewitnesses as he he can find, and he he asks them questions. He he probes into their stories. He takes all that, and he gives us this account of Jesus' life in the Gospel according to Luke. And he gives us an account in the early church in the book of Acts. And when you read those, you feel like you're there, because it comes from those who were there. And so we find in the book of Acts that through these eyewitness accounts, Luke gives God's people an accurate and orderly account of the origins of Christianity. Now, he states that his primary purpose in writing his gospel account was to give an account of the teachings of Jesus, of the life and the ministry and teaching of Jesus. And he says his primary purpose in writing the book of Acts was to give an account of the teachings of the, of the, of the apostles and the beginning of of the church, the beginning of our church. So we can think of the book of Acts as being a part two to his gospel. It's another chapter of the same book. So his gospel details from Jesus' birth to his resurrection, a total of 33 years. And Acts, Luke continues the story, now crawling after the resurrection of Jesus and he carries it forward for some 30 years. So he, he traces the progress of the gospel from Judea, from Jerusalem, all the way to Rome. And it ends with, with Paul, the chief herald of the gospel, proclaiming it at the heart of the empire with the full acquiescence of the imperial, of the imperial authorities. 
So it's this amazing story that goes from 11, 11 apostles, scared in the heart of Jerusalem, to them now going throughout the world, including Paul, who used to be one of the great persecutors of the faith, now being saved and now putting his life on the line to go before the authorities and say, this is the true king. This is the true savior. There is only one God known in and through the person of Jesus Christ. It's really quite an amazing story when we think about it. But we also want to keep in mind that this is not a complete church history. It only depicts the church growth that begins in Jerusalem and moves in a northerly and westerly direction. He bypasses many of the countries that are listed in the table of nations in chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. So we say this to, to remind us that the history of the church is bigger than what Luke can recall, than what Luke can record here. He has to pick one trail. He has to pick one strain. He can't cover it all. So it reminds us that, that when the apostles began to boldly preach the gospel on Pentecost, it began to spread like wildfire. It literally began to, to spread around the known world of that time. Israelites and foreigners would hear the gospel. They would be convicted. They would believe in it. And then they would make their way back home to tell others the gospel. And that cycle would continue. And it spread all around the known world of that time. So it's amazing to think that long before there were, you know, there were cell phones and you could text, you could email, you could, you could post on social media, before there was any sort of modern communication, that this teaching on Jesus would not only make its way around Jerusalem, but it would make it to all the corners of the earth. And I, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, but it seems almost like God had a purpose and plan, doesn't it? He would take 11 frightened people, and within 30 years, the Gospels made its way to Rome, and making its way to Spain, and Macedonia, and around the world. It's almost like God wanted the Gospel to spread in such a way that the only viable reason for it was the work of God. That there's no other way to explain it except to say it was all of God. And to think, all of us sitting here today are here because the apostles boldly preached the gospel and it spread. It spread geographically, it spread through individuals, and it spread through families. When Bethel ARP was founded in December of 1823, we can trace it all the way back to the day of Pentecost. When Peter stood up in front of that crowd and he preached the gospel. And it spread, and it spread, and it spread to Winsboro, South Carolina for a little church of Jesus Christ be born. It's almost beyond comprehension, isn't it? What else can we trace its roots back to some 2,000 years ago? Yet it's true. And we are all evidence of that truth here today. And so we find that Luke addresses both his God, the gospel and act, the book of Acts to a gentleman named Theophilus. We don't know much about him except that Luke wrote these books to him. We believed he was Luke's benefactor. He was certainly a Gentile 
who received Christian instruction before Luke's writing. We find that in Luke chapter 1, verse 4. But believing he's Luke's patron, that means Theophilus would have provided a living uh, for Luke to enable him to do research and write his two books. And he also would have financed the reproduction by hand of Luke's works. So this is a man who is committed to knowing more about Jesus Christ. And Luke makes it clear the purpose of all this. And listen to how he introduces uh, the book of Luke, or the Gospel according to Luke, and then the book of Acts. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, and he's probably talking about the other Gospels at that point, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, they seem good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning things you have been taught. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, and after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. We, we see that Luke wants Theophilus to know the story of Jesus better, to know it more, to know, to know it deeper. He, he wants this man to have every reason to rejoice in the gospel and in his Savior. So here, Theophilus, let me tell you about the birth of Jesus. Here, Theophilus, let me tell you about Jesus calling the disciples. Here, Theophilus, let me tell you about how Jesus suffered for you. And how he died for you. And how he was resurrected for you. But he also wants them to know more about the works of the early church. Say to the apostles, as faithful as Jesus has been to you, this is how faithful he's been to all of his people. This is, how, this is his faithfulness to his church, to his people gathered. And so although Luke writes like a physician, he has a pastoral heart. This isn't a, 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 a cold, academic sort of history. This is history from the heart. What do they say about good cooking? You, know, you can only, you can only cook, cook good food if it comes from the heart. You can follow the same recipe. So the person who cooks from the heart will cook a better meal. And that's how it is with this church history. This is a history from the heart. Because Luke went nothing more than Theophilus to know more and better and deeper about Jesus Christ. And to know better, more, and deeper about the church of Jesus Christ. And I think that says a lot about Luke, doesn't it? He could have gone cold, he could have gone academic, he could have, could have gone sterile. Sterile history. But he brings the heart of Jesus to it. And so as we, as we study this book, as we see it through the pastoral heart of Luke, we're going to see different elements at work. We're going to see the sovereignty of God over history and in redemption. That events pertaining to the suffering and resurrection of Jesus were necessary because they were planned by the triumph God and they were revealed in advance in the Old Testament scriptures. That God's will was fulfilled even by those who wickedly conspired against Jesus the Christ. So there is very much the theme of the sovereignty of God. But very much a central theme in all this is salvation. 
And, and this terminology appears frequently in this book. Now, we, we find that salvation can include a relief from physical distress. It can uh, mean a relief from economic oppression, but it's mostly used in terms of reconciliation to God and eternal life. And so when Luke thinks about salvation, he thinks about us being reconciled to God through the work of Christ. That's the primary focus of salvation. And these other salvific benefits are the consequences of God's answer to our most fundamental need. And what is our most fundamental need? Is we need a Savior. We need a Savior who will keep God's law in our place. We need a Savior who would die in our place. We need a Savior who would be raised from the dead for our justification. And the book of, or the, the, the book of Acts tells us that that Savior is Jesus Christ. And salvation is found in no other name than his. And it would make sense that the the history of the early church would be about salvation. Because what is church for? It's for the worship of God. But in the message of this worship, what are we to hear? Here is salvation. If you have not responded in faith... Here is this message of salvation. And if you have responded in faith, then here's how we live in the message of salvation. Salvation isn't a one and done of, okay, I went to Bunk Clarkin, I raised my hand, I was saved. I went to VBS and and I said said a prayer and I was saved. Or I was baptized as a baby right up here and I'm saved. Salvation isn't a one and done. Salvation is a life. It's a life now lived free in the grace of God live free from the wrath of the Father and live free in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So central to all this is the theme of salvation. But that doesn't mean that Acts is a how-to book. We don't pick up up the book of Acts to say, okay, how do we run a session meeting? How do we... uh, how do, we, how do we put together a Jubilee birthday breakfast? How do we have a youth group? It's not a how-to book. It's a story. It's a story of the Lord ministering to his church through his people by the means of his spirit. And in that story, we're told of the dramatic and radical change which took place in the attitudes and the actions of the disciples. Because as we said... Before the book of Acts, the last place we find the disciples, and they are hiding away in a room, and they are terrified. The Pharisees are out there. The Sadducees are out there. All those people who, who were against Jesus, they're out there. And they're afraid. And they're in hiding. They're doubtful. They're denying. They're despairing of any hope. But something changes. They go from being a bunch of cowards to now standing in front of thousands of people and say, this is Jesus Christ. To standing in front of royal authorities and saying, this is Jesus Christ. To standing up against the Pharisees and saying, but you're wrong because this is Jesus Christ. These cowards become missionaries. These fishermen put aside the boats, put aside the nets, and they go out throughout the world telling others, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing story of change. But I would say, 
and we will close on this, on this note. Out of all the themes we find, the most encouraging theme we find in the book of Acts is the intimate connection we find between Jesus and his church. There's a reason why there's two chapters to Luke's story. Why chapter one is about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ and why chapter two is about the ministry of the church. And that's because Jesus is intimately connected to his church. He's not the, he's not the CEO who has his office on the top floor and only a, a privileged few can get into him, but he's remote from everything. No, he's the one who personally lived for the church, who personally died for the church, who is personally resurrected for the church, who is personally ascended for the church. He's the one who personally sent his spirit at Pentecost and continues sends his spirit to his people. He's the one who personally gave the marching orders and then he gave his spirit to help his people march in that right direction. Jesus isn't far off from his church. Jesus is here with his church. Jesus is with us now in his church in and through his spirit. Jesus Christ is with us. And in our day and age, when professing Christians can have such a flippant attitude to church, a take it or leave it attitude, a commitment that is dependent upon what else is available to do on any given Sunday, in this day and age, we need to remind it that this is that the church is Jesus's. This isn't a human institution. This isn't about all the families that are named on the, on the charter of this church. This isn't this isn't about just a tradition. No, we're talking about the church that Jesus is intimately connected to, and He's connected to us in and through His spirits. So when we talk about the history of church, when we talk about the history of our church, we're not talking about the all-stars of last names who have come before us. No, we're talking about the history of Jesus with his church. We're talking about how Jesus has personally worked in and through the church, how Jesus has personally worked in and through Bethel. We're talking about how Jesus has personally used the ministry of the church for the good of his people, including you and me. So the encouraging story is we're not alone. The encouraging theme is we're not doing this by ourselves. We have a king. And that king is Jesus. We have an over-shepherd. And that over-shepherd is Jesus. We have a Lord. And that Lord of the church is Jesus. And so this book is a story of Jesus intimately connected to his church and at work through his church. And it's a story that continues in all churches that are faithful to Jesus Christ. And so as we prepare to celebrate 200 years here, may that be our story. That we're not here to, to, to clap ourselves in the back. But we're here to say, thanks be to God. And when Peter stood up to preach at Pentecost, God had a plan. And that plan included Bethel ARP Church. And may that be our encouragement as we continue in our study in this book. Pray with me.